The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Through the power of our God, He raised Christ Jesus from the dead, so He is alive today. Now, I know your minds are thinking, oh, okay, we can receive that. Listen, the news is this. We have a God who is in the heavenly places, who is watching over us, and who has already declared his love for us. He has sent his son to die for us so that our sin can be sorted, so that our sin can be forgiven, so that our lives can be transformed. And he has proved the fact that he has power to change us by raising his son from the dead and causing him to come alive again. The testimony of Jesus, his life, his resurrection, was amongst the disciples, not just the 12, but the 120 who saw him alive after he had been dead on the cross. And then his disciples saw him ascend back into heaven where he is reigning now in the heavenly places. But the news for us is this. You don't go home from here thinking, like, oh, I partook in com- communion. I went through some religious actions. We go home knowing this. There is a God in heaven who is for you, who is able to help you. Yeah, Everybody, everybody, but particularly for you. The issues that you are dealing with, the things that are on your heart, the angst that is in your life, the problems that you don't seem to be able to overcome, there is a God in heaven who is for you, who loves you, who is concerned for you. We sang a song about the reckless love of God. Mm. Now, what do I think about that? Reckless? Yes, it was extravagant, so from that point it was reckless, but it was never reckless from the point of view it was never considered. It was reckless in its abandonment. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's reckless. But it wasn't reckless from the point of view, it was a sudden action. It was a considered, thought-out predetermined action that I am coming to rescue a people who are in darkness to bring them into the light. That's not reckless, that's considered. But its action is reckless. And who is it for? It is for me and it is for you. I don't know what the barrier is that the enemy seeks to put up before our lives. The Bible in Isaiah talks of it as a veil that is over the nations. And you know what a veil does? It just stops you being able to see. A bride wears a veil because she is radiant in what she is wearing, but she's also veiled from her husband, and then she draws back the veil. Here I am. When the veil is removed, you can see the bride for what she is. It seems that there is a veil. The enemy puts a veil over our minds. I'm told that I am loved, but I can't quite see it. I can't quite understand it. There is something that needs to arise in our hearts, a cry that needs to go up before heaven to say, Father, release within me the knowledge that you love me incredibly. You are abandoned for me. You are totally for me. And you see, what we do, we process it like this. 
if you loved me, then everything would be all right. That's how we like to process. The ease of life means that everything's all right. That isn't the way God looks at it. In the midst of the storms, that's what we were having, hearing this morning. What's the center of the storm is the eye of the storm. Where in the midst of craziness all around, there's this place of peace. That's what God wants to bring us to. He never said, you will never have problems. In fact, he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. He told it for what it is. But don't be afraid. Fear not, I have overcome the world. I have overcome. The word overcome means that he has conquered. He is over it. He is above it. He can take you through it. What situation are you facing? What situation are you facing? If we were to say, right, okay, come on. Let's, here's the mic. Come up and tell everybody the situations you're facing. Some of you would do not want to come here because those situations are private and personal and you think, if anybody heard about this, they would reject me. Others of you want to come up and say, well, as we heard this morning, I was up the stepladder, the ladder broke, God protected me. These things are great news. Some we want to declare because it encourages others. Some we want to remain hidden because we're still working it through. But listen, the extravagant love of God is towards you and he wants to encourage you and to bring you from a place where you're not sure about whether he loves you he loves the others, but you, because there's special circumstances about you. There's things that have happened to you. There's abuse that's been done to you. There's things that uh, people have, have done to your life or have hurt you, and you, you find it difficult to release them, or, or whatever it may be. Or people have stolen money from you, or family members have taken your inheritance. Things that cause bitterness and difficulty. Jesus wants to set you free. He didn't just bring you to this earth just to exist. He brought you to this earth for the sake of his kingdom. He brought you to this earth that you might make a difference. You may be raising children, struggling with that, crying through the night. Tiredness. Tiredness wears us. Stress at work wears us. God is for us, not against us. We need to go to that living water to be refreshed this morning. We need to be able to look at creation and refresh ourselves. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. In other words, when you go in the garden and you're looking at the roses, and, oh, isn't that a fantastic smell? Don't they look beautiful? Don't these plants look great? Isn't spring wonderful? These plants are so, oh, I'm, they're wonderful. In fact, the language you use for weather like today isn't despondent language. It's like, oh, the sun's out. Isn't it a glorious day? What magnificent weather. Suddenly, the words of your mouth are full of expression and praise. Why? Because you are talking about the glory of God that is being seen by you. You can't hold it back. That's why when you go to a, a scene and you have a mountain scene or a valley or you see this spread out of wonderful flowers, you are just so like, that's fantastic. You see, you become extravagant because of the glory of God is seen there, but even though your mind may not think that that was God, your heart is responding through what you see. Our God wants us to connect with him daily in that fashion. 
that the vibrancy that is in heaven now is coming here to earth so that we may become alive on the earth, so that we may bring his kingdom in. His kingdom is the place where the rules of heaven are found here upon the earth. His kingdom. So when you're going to the shops and somebody pushes their pram into you or whatever, you can turn and say, okay, okay, I forgive you, sorry, don't worry. You can help people, you can go that extra mile. You can go next door, and yes, your neighbor's in difficulty, you can pray for him, you can do something. And sometimes you think, all I did was pray. Perhaps that's all that God needed you to do. But he wants to bring his kingdom in. He wants the place where his rule is being found. To push back the darkness and to bring the light. In Babylon, years ago, there was a group of young men who came to do this. They came to bring the kingdom of God to where they were. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they served the living God. They knew he had power over every other power. They knew that he was greater than any other power. They knew that he was the God above all gods. They knew that his name was Yahweh and they served him faithfully with their lives, through their work and in their prayers. They served him faithfully day after day. They sought his goodness in what they did and they sought to live out his life through what they did. They wanted so much to see the kingdom come. They wanted the king of Babylon to surrender to the living God. And so they lay their lives down to God and ask God to use them that Nebuchadnezzar might find God himself in his own life. And there had been testimony because there came a situation with a dream which Daniel was able to interpret and through that he was able to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar there is a God in heaven who can interpret dreams that nobody else knows about. And then through being put in a fire, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had declared to the king, listen, the God we serve is above every other God. Therefore, we cannot bow down to your idol of gold. But fear not, O king, because the God we serve is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't. You see, this position shows their faith. It doesn't, even because they said, even if he doesn't, it doesn't show that they were always God able. They knew he was able. They just didn't know whether he wanted to work through them in that way. That's why we can say, when you lay your hands on people and you think, well, they're not going to get better because they didn't get better last time. No, no, no. That's not the same thinking. The thinking is, when I lay my hands on the sick, they will recover. And if they don't, it's in God's hands I'm bringing his kingdom in. We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what they were doing. They're walking by faith. So they were saying, by faith our God is able to deliver us. If he doesn't, I don't know what his plans are. He wants me fried. But that's okay, because he's God and he's able to raise me from the dust. It's faith. We're supposed to live by faith. So in your office, when you see somebody who's hurt their leg or whatever, and you feel, should I pray for them? Pray for them. Oh, but what if God doesn't do anything? That's up to him. He's giving testimony to who you are because he's seeking to bring his kingdom in through you. And he wants to establish you with faith. He wants to establish you with strength. These men were great men. 
I believe that they would have known the Psalms. They would have known some of the history of the Jewish people. One of the Psalms, Psalm 121, is known as the Psalm of Ascents. It's one of those Psalms when the people, when they went up to Jerusalem to worship, that they would have been singing. So at this moment in time, I'm just going through history of Israel in my mind, just checking to see what I said was true. Anyway, Psalm 121. I lift up, I'm slightly uh, confused about this at the moment. No, it's okay. Yes, this is fine. Um, So they would have sung this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We need to declare this to ourselves in the morning. Because so often, where does my help come from? My duvet. (laughs) Where does my help come from? Is it the cup of coffee I'm going to get? Oh, the coffee shop's not open. The queue is too long. The train is running. What am I going to do? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We have the right to turn around to others. Who are you serving? Who is your God? My God is the God who created all things. He is above every other. The trouble with most people is they don't know who to put their trust in. They are looking for people who have something of the knowledge of God that they may find the truth. I know people have lots of words and they have lots of reasons for those words. Because lots of people have lived lots of life and lots of life includes life and death, and being let down, and being hurt, and being abused. And there's many reasons why people would want to say, how can there be a God? But they need a demonstration of somebody who is walking with him to bring testimony of what he is really like to their lives. When we spend time with people showing them the kingdom of God, things start to shift. Things started to shift in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He had the dream and he started to shift because he was a god above the gods that he was serving. He saw the fourth man in the fiery furnace protecting Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and things began to shift again. But you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, I fear sometimes that I'm more like Nebuchadnezzar than I was like Daniel, Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego. And why do I say that? Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar now was beginning to show signs that he knew something of God. This God is above every other God. He even decrees to the nations, listen, the nation, you need to take notice of this God because he is a great God. You see, he's shifting, he's becoming understanding of God. He's coming and he's telling others about God, but he finds it difficult to commit his life to God. Hello? Doesn't that sound like sometimes us in the church? We know about God. We understand about God. But the one thing we find difficult is 100% giving our lives to God. I mean, what's he going to ask me to do? Where's he going to ask me to go? Who's he going to ask me to speak to? (gasps) Can I risk that? And that maybe is what Nebuchadnezzar was going through. But you see, look at it from God's point of view. God loves people. He loves them, no matter what they're doing, whether they're evil, as we would describe them, or whether they're good. He loves the creation that he has made. He loves Nebuchadnezzar. 
And from God's perspective, what does he want from Nebuchadnezzar? He wants relationship with him. He wants relationship with him. And so as we come into um, Daniel chapter 4, we actually come to a thing where there's another dream. I don't quite know where we are in the notes, by the way, so sorry about that. Well, I know where I am, but as far as what's on the screen. Another dream is what we're going to look at, and uh, we've got a few minutes, so we'll just go to this quickly. I'll read to you. Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 to 18. And when we come to chapter 4, when you're reading through Daniel, and if you have read through it, then you'll know what I mean, but if you haven't, then you'll see this. As you get to chapter 4, you suddenly notice, now hang on a second, this is being written by Nebuchadnezzar. Where we've had understanding, this is what has been going on, suddenly you come to chapter 4, and it's talking, and Nebuchadnezzar starts to talk. Chapter 4 uh, and uh, verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now often we would think that that's a great place to be. Contented and prosperous. I have to say for him, and maybe for us, it's a disastrous place to be. Because you see, when we become contented and prosperous, we don't feel as though we have any needs. Because all of our needs are being met, because we're contented. And more than that, there's enough prosperity in our lives to meet any further needs that may come along that we weren't expected. Here I am, I am contented, and I am prosperous. Hello, let us speaking to most of us in this room. And I know there's a, a variation in income levels, but you see, that's because we're comparing ourselves with one another. We compare ourselves to another nation, to somewhere like Uganda, or somewhere like Kenya, or somewhere like Somalia, some of these other nations. When we compare ourselves to them, whew, we're all rich. You see, so it's comparison. But when we find a place where we think we are contented and prosperous, which is often the driving place of where our sort of nation would want to get to, let's all get to a place where we're contented and prosperous, but it can take us away from knowing God, trusting God, looking to God, and believing in God. So when we look at it like that, who wants to be contented and prosperous? But it's difficult for us to say, I don't. Isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar was in his palace. He was contented and he was prosperous. He said, I had a dream. It goes on in verse 5. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. We've been here before, haven't we? This is getting a regular thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He had dreams. Do you have dreams? God speaks through dreams. Sometimes you have dreams about, you know, a five-legged cat that's blue and yellow. That may not be God, <laughs> all right? But other dreams you have, and you see your boss, the person you know at work, coming to you and speaking to you. And he says, you're fired. I, I mean, I'm not, maybe God is saying something to you. Do you know what? There are situations like this that happen. But you know what often I find is that when you have people that you know in dreams or situations you know in dreams, just take note. And it's not always that we understand, but what we can say after that is, God, please, what are you saying to me? Will you prepare my heart? Will you help me in this? Will you help me to keep going? So, uh, verse 6, So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, 
I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. Just imagine if that was your boss at work had said to you, George, come in. I know you're working for yourself, George, but you know what I mean. Come into my office. You've been doing the sound and you're you know, helping me out with this. Uh, can you interpret my dream for me? That's an interpretation of George there. Okay. So I don't know. That wasn't very accurate, George. I apologize. But I mean, what do you. You see, Daniel, he knows that he can't do it. He knows he can't do it. When you know you can't do it, you actually feel quite relaxed. I can't do it. But I do know a man who can. I do know a man who can. You understand that? And this is a significant point we must understand with Daniel. He knew he couldn't do things. But he knew a God who was able to do all things. That's where we need to shift to. God is never asking you to do all things through your ability. He's asking you to do his things through his ability. And that's a big difference. And that's why we can relax when we pray for people, where we go to speak to people. Because it's not about us. Yes, we're the vehicle, but he is the power. And he is the one who can change. So here's uh, Belteshazzar, Daniel, he's being asked to interpret these dreams. Verse 10, these are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter. The birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is, amount, is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. And this is the verdict. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. That is what all of this is about. God wanted to make it known who's the chief. God wanted to make it known who's overall. Not, oh, look at me in my palace. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look at us in our homes. What I've achieved. Do you know what? I've just had promotion. Look at the car I've got. Look at the house. Do you know this is the school that my children go to? These are the results they got. Does this 
talk to our lives? Are we not more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are like the other men, like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach and Abednego? Aren't we looking at our contentedness and what we have got in our lives? But you see, there is one who is over everything and he appoints what men and women do. That we may know that the Most High, that is God, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The message to Nebuchadnezzar was quite clear. You're king, I made you king. Same for us. We look at what our occupation is or what we're doing. And God can say to us quite clearly, I made that, I gave you that, I've enabled you to do that, I've enabled you to have that gifting, I've given you that ability, you can play musical instruments, I've done that for you, I've enabled you. Sure, you had to learn and work with others to help you, but the gift, every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father who is in heaven. That's where it comes from. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. We do that when we start to acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the things of men. That's when we start to do it. He went on to say to Belteshazzar, this is the dream that I had. And as we move on quickly in verse 19, then it says, Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed. For a time his thoughts terrified him. I find this interesting. You see, Daniel was obviously thinking, God, what is the interpretation of this? And as he's hearing it, he's thinking like, oh my goodness. He's starting to understand what God wants to do. And it moves on at the end of that verse. It says, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Verse 24 to verse 27, Daniel goes on to say, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. And he goes on to say that you're going to be driven away from your people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. He goes on to say, verse 27, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. You notice how bold Daniel was? Okay? You notice how he trusts in God? Do you fancy going to the ruler of the nation and telling them, it's time for you to repent and to change your ways? The person who has absolute authority, you can just say, off with his head. We laugh at these things, but put yourself in that. This is the same way. It's like, oh, I'm frightened to go next door to speak to my neighbours. Why? In case of what they say. I'm terrified to pray for that lady by the coffee machine. Why? In case she doesn't get healed. Daniel, he just says it like it is. You need to repent. I'm not saying that that's the first thing you say to the lady by the coffee machine. Okay? <laughs> let's have some relationship. 
build some relationship with her first. Repentance can come next week, but we'll start with relationship this week. You know what I mean, at least I hope you know what I mean. As we go on, Daniel 4.29, I find this very interesting. It says this, 12 months later. 12 months later. One year has passed. 12 months later. You know the prophetic word you felt that God was bringing and you needed to bring it, so you brought it and you told the interpretation and you gave all that information and then you leave it. And Daniel had to leave it for a whole year. Now, Daniel's not silent during the year. Daniel prays three times a day. So you think he would have mentioned it to God. God, by the way, you know, what was all that dream thing about? Are you going to let him off? Maybe if I intercede for Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe if I come to my knees more, you'll change your mind. We don't know what Daniel did, but I wouldn't surprise me at all to see this guy pleading before God on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. But what I do know is, a year later, so maybe for Nebuchadnezzar, he's no longer troubled by the dream. Yes, he heard the interpretation, oh, these things come, these things go, we know what it's like, you know what Daniel's like, he's a bit weird at times, but he's a good guy, I like him, he's my top guy. But look at this, look at Babylon, come on. Look at what I have accomplished. Look at what I am achieving. And that's it. God makes him go mad. Because God sits on the throne, high above every other power. And Nebuchadnezzar is brought to his knees. He goes mad and he spends time in the field. It says that his hair grew long, his nails grew long, like the claws of an eagle. It says all of those things. Until he acknowledged this, that heaven rules. What about us? Are we acknowledging that heaven rules? Or are we trying to take rulership for ourselves? This whole story of Daniel and his friends is about surrendering to God. That's what we see week after week. There's one message. Those who surrender themselves completely to God are the people that God can completely use. A people who know their God shall do exploits, is what it says further on in Daniel. We haven't got to that part. And we see... When Nebuchadnezzar finally surrenders to God and he yields himself to God and he allows God to come and work in his life and he acknowledges that he is the supreme one, then we can go right back to the beginning of chapter 4 where we're seeing that Nebuchadnezzar is writing and we can read those verses which I haven't read so far. But chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 it says this, it is my pleasure, Nebuchadnezzar writes, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. He was completely released. Nebuchadnezzar now had come to a place where he knew God. And he was now serving God. And later on in the chapter, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and praised the Most High. 
I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He's transformed. He's living under the authority of God. Folks, if we're going to learn anything from Nebuchadnezzar, we need to learn that the Most High is sovereign over all things. And he has power to do whatever he wants to do. So our role is to surrender to him. Lord, I don't understand everything that's going on in my life. I don't understand every opposition that comes against me. I don't understand every circumstance that comes against me. But I'm choosing now to declare this. Heaven rules. I don't. I surrender to you. And for the different circumstances that you face, the different things that you're going through, it's not that I'm not interested in them, because God is totally interested in them, but this is true. God is above every one of them, and he wants to lead you through them. But you've got to allow him to do so. Will you acknowledge today that heaven rules? Will you surrender to him and allow him to come and work in your life? That is what we're asking God to do for us. And that is what these men have been seeking to do. Let's stand and sing together.